You are listening to Vital Signs, a podcast for Centera providers. Welcome to Episode 1 of Alcohol Withdrawal. In today's episode, we are joined by Dr. Neil Davis, Critical Care Clinical Specialist, who is also one of the members of the Clinical Variation Reduction Team Subcommittee, Alcohol Withdrawal, and he will be our guest speaker for today. But before we turn things over to Dr. Davis, let's go over some important CME announcements. This session has been accredited for AMA PRA Category 1 credits. For detailed accreditation and designation information, disclosure information, please visit the show notes. This information can also be found on our website, www.centera.com forward slash physician education, as well as always reaching us by email at physicianeducation at centera.com. Now let's go ahead and turn things over to Dr. Davis. Hello, my name is Neil Davis, and I am a critical care clinical pharmacist at Virginia Beach General. And today I'm going to be discussing with you changes to the alcohol withdrawal protocol and the process and how we manage the care of these patients in our health system. This initiative was founded through the behavioral health team and is also a clinical variation reduction initiative. Other key members on our team are Dr. Matt Angelelli, who's the clinical chief of behavioral health. Also Lydia Anderson, a nurse for a quality improvement coordinator. And we also have Jill DeLauder, as well as um, Julia Burgess, who are also clinical nurse specialists who have helped us with this team. So really our goals when we looked at approaching improvements in the alcohol withdrawal protocol were to try to really improve care through the entire continuum. We looked at a number of staff injuries resulting from patients who became violent. We also significant clinical variation in how these patients were managed between hospitals, between units, as well as between providers. And finally, long lengths of stay in these patients and escalations of care in terms of where they transferred to higher levels of care, it was associated with significant cost expenditures. So we're really looking to target each of these areas to improve the way we manage these patients. One of the key aspects to managing patients going through alcohol withdrawal is to stay ahead of the plane. And what I'm discussing with this, and here in Virginia Beach, we have the F-18 Super Hornets, and they often describe that pilots may become grounded if they are not staying at least 500 feet ahead of the airplane. They're going so fast, they basically have to be thinking ahead and managing ahead because objects and other things come up on them so fast. So that's really... One of our key initiatives in managing these alcohol withdrawal patients is early identification and early aggressive management to try to prevent them from escalating. When we look nationally, alcohol dependence occurs in about 15 to 20 percent of hospitalized patients, 20 to 40 percent of ICU patients, and upwards of 50 to 60 percent of patients involved in traumatic injuries. Delirium tremens has a mortality rate of 5 to 15 percent, and yet despite this high prevalence, there is a paucity of high-quality data for how best to diagnose, prevent, and treat alcohol withdrawal syndrome. 
The initial therapeutic goal basically is to control agitation. And rapid and adequate control of this agitation and anxiety reduces the incidence of clinically important adverse events and much of the adverse consequences that we discussed earlier. The key process improvements that we implemented as part of this initiative was the prediction of alcohol withdrawal severity scale, the PAUSE score for short. And this was a scoring tool that was designed for all admitted and behavioral health patients to stratify risk and guide early treatment for patients that drink alcohol on a consistent basis. We also looked to revise the medication therapy options based on CEWA scores, also known as the Clinical Institute for Withdrawal Assessment. We wanted to look at adding a phenobarbital-based regimen, which we'll discuss more in a little bit, as well as adding aggressive dosing options for patients with severe withdrawal, and finally improve the use of adjunctive agents such as dexmedetomidine in our critically ill subsets. So in addition to adding phenobarbital-based options, other options that we wanted to pursue was to embellish the toolkit of benzodiazepines to treat these patients and make longer-acting agents available, such as phenobarbital, which I already mentioned, chlordiazepoxide, and diazepam. And the thought is that for appropriate patients, these longer-acting agents provide a smoother withdrawal course and help prevent the escalation that we have discussed previously. Finally, we wanted to help guide benzodiazepine dosing for patients at risk for moderate and severe alcohol withdrawal. In some instances, we have increased the doses that are available to providers as part of the order set. We also wanted to aid nursing reassessment, which I was quite surprised to find out that until the, we started this process, nurses had to manually remember when to do CEWA reassessments. And obviously, since much of our drug therapy is based on, or tied to rather, this CEWA assessment, it was vitally important that these reassessments be done on time such that we can provide these patients the drug therapy that they need and prevent further escalation as well as the need for increasing level of care. When we look at the alcohol withdrawal timeline, we know that in patients who chronically ingest large amounts of alcohol, they become very tolerant to high levels and they can experience withdrawal symptoms as you know, early as eight hours after their last drink, and their levels certainly don't have to be zero. It is anything less than what they are used to. The peak timeline occurs, as we know, between the first two and three days, and withdrawal can last up to five to seven days. It involves extensions of the adrenergic system, including anxiety, insomnia, GI upset, palpitations, anorexia. The progression involves hallucinations, both visual and tactile. These usually peak within 48 hours. And unfortunately, withdrawal seizures is one of the most significant consequences. And this can actually occur as early as two hours after alcohol cessation. and can happen anytime in the first 24 to 48 hours. And then finally, what we hope to prevent is fulminant delirium tremens, agitation, hallucination, disorientation, hypertension, fever, and this can peak at five days and last up to seven days. As part of our protocol implementation, three tools that we are incorporating are the pause assessment, and the pause tool has been validated. It's basically a quick questionnaire that patients answer, 
and our targets are the emergency department for patients with the portal of entry through the ER and the floor nurse for direct admit patients to complete this questionnaire to the best of their ability. And it's basic questions that you might, you might uh, consider, you might suggest, where have the patient experienced DTs before? Have they had an alcohol withdrawal seizure? You know, have they mixed alcohol with other drug therapies? And it's really designed to stratify patients who are at high risk. The literature suggests that a score greater than or equal to four equates to a high or moderate risk for severe alcohol withdrawal. And those are really the patients that we need to stratify, identify early, and provide aggressive therapy to preclude escalation. Another tool that most of our providers are already familiar with is the CEWA AR assessment tool. I'm not gonna belabor this because hopefully everyone is familiar with it, but it is a symptom triggered therapy assessment, and based on the number of points, it's tied to a dose of medication for alcohol withdrawal. And finally, a tool that has traditionally been used in the intensive care unit to identify or measure, rather, sedation, it's called the RAS score, the Richmond Agitation Severity Score. And it is also symptom-triggered assessment ranging from minus five in which the patient is unarousable to plus four in which the patient is dangerously combative. So we're coupling all these tools together to hopefully provide better care to the patients that we treat. As I alluded to, the PAUSE assessment score is one of the newest tools that we have implemented in the treatment of these patients. And this questionnaire has a validated tool that has demonstrated 93% sensitivity and 99% specificity for those patients who are at risk of a complicated withdrawal course. Currently, this is already utilized by multiple systems. Ohio State University was one of the largest systems to implement this assessment tool, and it found it to be very successful. So we're looking forward to similar success with implementation within our Centera system. I want to speak a little bit about the CNS physiology associated with chronic alcohol ingestion. Ethanol acts on the GABA receptor, gamma-aminobutyric acid. This is an inhibitory neurotransmitter in the brain that essentially suppresses the sympathetic nervous system. And what we see is that alcohol is a GABA agonist. So chronic ingestion, the brain resets its equilibrium. It's associated with downregulation of the GABA receptors as well as depletion of endogenous GABA concentrations. We also see suppression of excitatory neurotransmitters, glutamate and NMDA. All of these receptors reach equilibrium under chronic alcohol exposure. So the issue becomes when there is acute withdrawal or abstinence of alcohol ingestion, there's decreased inhibitory GABA activity, decreased GABA levels, in upregulation of these excitatory neurotransmitters, glutamate and NMDA. The cornerstones of therapy for treatment of these patients for years has been benzodiazepines. These agents are GABA agonist, but unfortunately they have no impact on glutamate or NMDA receptor activity. And these drugs increase the frequency of chloride channel opening. Phenobarbital, on the other hand, 
increases the duration of chloride channel opening, and it also works by inhibiting NMDA and glutamate activity in addition to its agonist properties on the GABA receptor. So one unique attribute of phenobarbital is it does not require GABA concentrations to exert efficacy. And that may provide some benefit in the highest risk and most complicated withdrawal patients that we see. Unfortunately, there's not a number of large randomized controlled studies looking at the best therapy. So despite the prevalence of this disease state, again, we are faced with inadequate amounts of literature to be able to make informed assessment. What literature is available, which we'll discuss, phenobarbital may be superior to benzodiazepines in the most severe subsets of moderate and severe alcohol withdrawal syndrome. In those subsets, the available literature suggests this benefit confers a shorter length of stay in the hospital as well as a shorter length of stay in the ICU, also less need for mechanical ventilation and adjunctive agents. There was a retrospective cohort study at a 42-bed medical ICU, 120 patients with 60 in each group. They compared CWA triggered escalating doses of lorazepam versus scheduled phenobarbital tapering doses with adjunctive lorazepam CWA triggered doses. The primary outcome was ICU length of stay. They also looked at hospital length of stay, instance of mechanical ventilation, and adjunctive pharmacotherapy. There was an escalating dosing strategy based on the patient who had no history of DTs, history of DTs, or active DTs, and patients in the more severe subsets got more aggressive regimens of phenobarbital. And this study served as a primary basis of how our phenobarbital doses are built in the order set today. Outcomes of this study, they found there was a statistically significant reduction of almost two days in the ICU. There was also a little more than three days reduction in hospital length of stay. They had less total lorazepam equivalents within each group less need for mechanical ventilation and adjunctive therapies such as dexmedetomidine. So as you can see in this subset of patients who are at very high risk, phenobarbital may be an option that we want to explore. A second study that I would like to discuss today compared the clinical effectiveness of phenobarbital versus benzodiazepines in managing alcohol withdrawal syndrome. It was a retrospective chart review of 562 patients admitted over a two-year period to a single center. The primary outcome was alcohol withdrawal-related complications such as seizures, hallucinations, and alcohol uh, withdrawal delirium. The secondary outcomes were hospital and ICU length of stay, ICU transfers, medication adverse events, as well as patients who left against medical advice. The results demonstrated that despite significantly more patients with prior complications related to alcohol withdrawal syndrome, including seizures and delirium, patients initiated on phenobarbital had overall similar primary and secondary treatment outcomes to those in the benzodiazepine group. A subset of patients with initial non-responsiveness to benzodiazepines, including alcohol withdrawal-related delirium and ICU admissions were very well managed after transitioning to the phenobarbital protocol. And finally, the last study that I would like to discuss today about phenobarbital regards 
a single dose of 10 milligrams per kilogram IV in patients who were appropriate candidates administered in the emergency department. So they looked at a single dose of IV phenobarb combined with lorazepam-based CWA protocols. Did this decrease ICU admission in emergency department patients with alcohol withdrawal syndrome? There was 102 patients, and they compared this to simply CWA-triggered lorazepam alone. There was 51 in each of these groups. In the phenobarbital group, they gave them a single dose of 10 milligrams per kilogram IV based on ideal body weight or placebo, and then all patients received CWA-triggered lorazepam-based therapy. The primary outcome was initial level of hospital admission, so they looked at those patients that required ICU admission versus telemetry versus a floor ward. What they found in the results were that patients that received phenobarbital had fewer ICU admissions, 8% versus 25%. And there was no adverse events identified in either group. The authors concluded that a single dose of intravenous phenobarbital combined with symptom-guided lorazepam-based alcohol withdrawal protocol resulted in decreased ICU admissions and resulted in no adverse outcomes. Thank you for joining us and be on the lookout for part two of alcohol withdrawal. You've been listening to Sentara Healthcare's Vital Signs, a podcast for Sentara providers. As a reminder, read today's show notes for information about claiming your continuing education credits. Well, that's it for now, but we'll be back soon with another episode of Vital Signs, a podcast for Sentara providers the podcast that provides evidence-based education programs for physicians and healthcare providers on the go.